The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. This is the 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. 235 on the 630 Chad Afternoon News. Uh, Brad Whisker in for Jaylen Nye. I'm still Andrew Gross and on the phone, Ward 1 Counselor Andrew Knack. Hi, Andrew. Hey, how are you? I'm really good. How are you? I'm good. I'm beginning to think Jalen doesn't like me because she's never on the never on the line when I'm. <laughs> you know what? It's the opposite of that, Andrew. I like you so much that uh, when Jay's not here to, well, actually, that sounds bad too. I was going to say when Jalen's <laughs> not here to say no. <laughs> no, I just typically like to have you on because I know you'll be informative and and fill the time. Whereas if Jalen's here, it's just me moaning about the city instead. So it's two different perspectives, I guess. Fair enough. Fair All enough. right. So, hey, listen, we uh, originally reached out to you, um, but I know you're always open to any conversation with regard to the city. Absolutely. We're, okay. Can you, I'm going to approach this from a different angle than I typically do with you or any other counselor. I'm going to ask you to explain this to me, uh, what the problem is, as opposed to me uh, presenting you with the problem and then you explaining it. Uh, what's the problem with the uh, the placard holders uh uh, what do we call it these days? Accessible placard holders, I think it's called is yep. the correct term. Uh, so we have some new technology. It's the stuff we used to see on TV on the reality show Parking Wars. The truck drives around and is able to read the plates. Um, what's the problem? Well, the problem is is that uh, so we're running into a situation as part of the update in the technology, which allows them to be more efficient in the enforcement. So essentially, this one vehicle can replace what five people were doing by foot. So that's a good thing. But the issue is that um, we were, because of this, uh, we didn't have the ability for the machine to recognize the placards because they're at the front of the vehicle. This takes a picture from the back, and it takes a picture of the license plate, and it reads it back to whoever's entered in their payment information. Okay. So for those with the accessible placard, this created a situation of how do we uh, adjust for that? Because in the past, somebody with an accessible placard could park on any on-street parking, uh, city on-street parking, for free for two hours. So that was going to change because of this new system. And what would happen is that uh, that they would not, uh, they'd be able to park in any accessible on-street parking space for free for two hours. But then any of the other stalls, the non-accessible stalls, you would have to pay. And because there was no way for this to, to read the placard. Uh, so they came out, the, the, the team that was rolling this out did engage the Accessibility Advisory Committee to talk about this change and to suggest that we're looking at making this change so that now anyone with an accessible placard would pay at the non-accessible stalls but would continue to get free on the accessible stalls and they asked for feedback to inform you know, what they may or may not do. Generally, and I, I'm now the council rep on the Accessibility Advisory Committee, the feedback was it wasn't necessarily an issue that people would have to pay at the non-accessible stalls going forward. It was the fact that we only have 98 accessible stalls in our core, mm. and we have 30,000 people in the city with accessible placards. So we were going to now start, start charging people, and yet we had nowhere near enough of a supply to fulfill uh, to the demand for people who, who need that accessible parking space. So that's where this really became an issue, and then ultimately a decision was made to proceed with this without addressing the inventory issue that we have right now. And and even though there had been feedback from the committee saying, 
you know, maybe we need to take a step back. Let's not have this take effect right away. Um, let's work on this. Um, but the decision was made to proceed, and I, and I think that was that's where the major issue I started. I see. And, and I know that uh, the city was warning individuals about this rule change with some kind of flyer or something they were putting under the windshields, but the flyer... Did it not initially indicate that the change was taking place May 15th, and now the change is taking place July 15th? What had happened is there were a few that were put on windshields back in May, but were still stating the July 15th. The thing was they wanted to actually mail them out, and they ended up mailing them out afterwards to everyone a few weeks ago, which is where this became uh, understandably a bigger issue for everyone as, as this was going to take effect on July 15th. Uh, obviously, that's not happening now, and we've got a plan forward. But but I think there's there's rightfully some frustration around the fact that this didn't have to. We didn't have to be reactive because of the feedback that had been provided. So going forward, Councillor, how do you address the supply and demand? You mentioned the available access in the city. What does the city have a plan in place to address that? Well, that's that's what was talked about at Tuesday because we added this to the council agenda so that we could we could talk about it and make sure everyone knew what was going to happen. So the change that was going to take effect July fifteenth is now being held off. Uh, the plan is hopefully by mid to late September, we will have been able to significantly increase the supply of accessible on street parking stalls through the core. At which point we could continue as as we proceed. Um, so. It, Really, this, this doesn't have to be overly complicated because I think the message that was shared at the, the advisory committee meetings is that uh, persons with disabilities need to, need to park in the same locations everyone else needs to park because they might want to go to a restaurant or come to visit someone at a, at, a, at a residence downtown or do everything that everyone else already does. And so realistically, there's no, there's no logical um, point to say, well, we should only put accessible stalls on this particular block. No, we need them everywhere. Mm. So if you have that supply in place so that somebody can go and park in it down any block to go and enjoy, then then you've got the ample supply. Well, the only thing is, Andrew, I hate, I hate to point out the obvious, but the more stalls you designate as accessible, the fewer stalls there are for folks who don't have a placard mm-hmm. to park in. And, and it's a fair point, and it's not. And we're not suggesting that suddenly we're going to take half of every block and put accessible stalls. But I think, at a minimum, it's not unreasonable to suggest one, at least one stall on every block should be accessible. And we haven't had a parking shortage in our downtown. I think uh, I remember hearing, even when the Oilers were in the playoffs, whenever that was. So long ago, it feels like um, <laughs> that that our on-street parking. We had only ever used, we were only at 80% utilization, even when we had home playoff games. So we still have a, a surplus of parking space available on our city, city stalls on streets. So I, I don't think we have to be worried if we're taking away some additional stalls to put them as accessible that we're going to suddenly run out in our downtown. We've got lots available. Do we have a specific number in mind when you talk about taking away and then additional for those accessible stalls? Again, for me, I, I don't know what the what that the number finally works out to, but I, I still feel our goal and our target should be one per block, and whatever that final number equates to, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I think that's a reasonable uh, accommodation to make sure that we have appropriate amount of accessible stalls. And again, while not uh, completely uh, restricting people who uh, 
aren't going to be using accessible stalls from being able to park in the downtown core. Uh, this this is we both sets of stalls can coexist simply even if we did I think by one one per block. Okay, I, I'm curious as well, and, and as often as is often the case, we get on a topic. I think we'll take one minute to dispose of, and then you know it doesn't because it's it's an interesting topic. Um, what about the fact that? I mean, you can approach this from two angles. You can say that the problem is as a result of not enough or or incorrect technology, or the the problem is insufficient parking spots, or could the problem be that the plates are transferable and that that you change the plate? You go to the province instead and say, we need to start putting um, that placard on the plate so that the technology can read it. And, and so that's that's exactly it. In fact, you're, you're right in that the, the the actual long-term solution for us as part of this ePark system is to use uh, an RFID tag or something like that that can be picked up by the the enforcement camera. Uh, and you just need to design it in a way that's not something that somebody can easily steal and and put it on their own vehicle. But that's that's something that should be easily resolved. Um, so that's going to take a little bit more time. So what everything that we've just been talking about is more of the short-term piece, and they're already working on what that technological solution is, and, and whether it's the, the province doing it through the license plate or us just having an RFID tag or something like that that'll, that really helps resolve this in a much easier fashion. Uh, who issues those uh, placards, the province or the city? Oh, that, I wish I uh, I should probably know the answer to that question. I'm pretty certain it's the province. Actually, I, I, no. In fact, I do know it's the province. Uh, that's right, and that was one of the challenges because that's how we were able to send out the letters. We had to get the information from, from the, the province. From the province, yeah. Because yeah. I'm just uh, curious, and, and it could be uh, anecdotal. I mean, it, I don't have any proof to back this up, but many will suggest that there are too many of those out there that are not are no longer needed or not being used by the people that they were intended to be used by and I'm wondering if that would not also alleviate some of the problem if those that were being misused were taken away. I, I think that that's, it's tough for me to say. I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably all anecdotal because sometimes we aren't aware. Some, some disabilities are not as visible as others. And so you might see somebody get out uh, that that looks like they don't have a disability, but you're not, mm -hmm. we may not actually know that there is something there. Uh, so I, I think that's, that's always uh, a challenging way to go down. With all of this said, the, the, there will still be, continue to be enforcement, uh, in-person enforcement, uh, who will deal with the accessible on-street stalls that may help. So if now there's a vehicle doing all of the other stalls and you have these uh, officers who can go and deal with the accessible stalls, you might be able to ensure you can cut down on that. All right, good stuff. Uh, you're good to hold for a couple of minutes while we... Absolutely. Uh, okay, great. Andrew Knack, uh, Councillor One on the phone. We'll put you on hold, Andrew. Um, when we return, we'll start to... Uh, we'll, we'll tackle some other topics and see what else is on the radar of the council. on the 6.30 Ched Afternoon News. Uh, Councillor from Ward 1, Andrew Nock, uh, joining us on the phone. Thanks for your patience, Andrew. Always appreciated. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, hey, listen, I wanted to talk to you about uh, bike lanes uh, for just a second. For just Okay. Because you know it's just one of those topics, right? Mm -hmm. But my question to you is this. Do we have a problem with bike lanes or do we have a, po a problem with education? Uh, you know, I think, I think there was 
there was, I would say both, depending on where we were in our time. So if you think back to a few years ago when the first bike lanes, uh, and I'm using air quotes right now when I say bike lanes, were installed in the West End and sort of the South Side, which were painted lines on major roadways, uh, we had a problem with bike lanes at that point because they were taking away lanes of traffic on major roads and nobody was using them. So, and I remember it because it was a month before I I first got elected in September 2013 when we had these ones installed on 95th Ave. And and it was rightfully not the right approach because even for myself, and I bike most every day now, um, I wouldn't use that because you're you're separated by a painted line on a major road with traffic going by at 50 or 60. You don't feel comfortable or safe, and so it's not accomplishing anything. Uh, So I think that was an issue with bike lanes. I think when you look at the downtown grid, and, and of course you're going to hear a variety of perspectives, but most of the downtown grid that was installed are not on the main roads. So if you look at 102nd Avenue through the downtown, there was no loss of vehicle driving lanes. It's all, it's all, all the vehicle driving lanes still exist there today. And so it made sense to have a separated bike lane there that didn't actually impact people that were driving. Um, you know, the one area where there is more concern is around 100th Avenue, uh, where there was a loss of lane. It's a lower volume road, so you only see about 8,000 cars a day, but those cars sort of come all at the peak time. So, you know, I think we've moved beyond, you know, installing terrible bike lanes, uh, and I think it's gotten better as we identify the low volume roads. There's still some work we need to continue to do to, to refine as we go forward, but I, I think it's less about that now, and then I think it goes to your other point about education, which is that there's still some work that needs to be done there on on people that drive, people that bike, um, because if you take a spot like 100th Avenue, there's a major backlog that can happen along the multi-use trail just west of the, the major intersection at 109th, because the multi-use trail traffic has a stop sign, and they don't always stop, so that can back up a lot of the drivers which, you know, frustrate a lot of the people trying to leave uh, home on, you know, rush hour. So there's still part of that, which is that there's a role we all have to play on the education side. This is new for the city of Edmonton. It's not new for a lot of North American cities now as bike, bike lanes are becoming more and more common. But we have some work to do uh, for, for those that are driving, for those of us who bike every day, um, to make sure we're paying attention to one, one another and, you know, like I say, I bike most days now, and I get frustrated when I see somebody on a bike blow past the stop sign. Hmm. Well, here's that does nothing to advance the conversation. Right, exactly. And and here's the thing, though, and I'm sure you're aware of this: the Angus Reid uh, poll that was just released mm-hmm. today, um, in which it said that Calgary and Edmonton were the only two of eight metro centers surveyed where fewer than half the respondents said separated bike lanes were a good thing. Uh, Calgary and saying uh, 37%, uh, followed by Edmonton at 36%. So my question, I guess, then is, are you as a council saying, are you as a council listening to the residents and and constituents and saying, this is what we think you need? I mean, are you, let me rephrase it. Are you listening to the constituents who are saying, most of us don't want these? Or are you telling the constituents, moving forward, this is what you need? No, I I think I'll speak for when I had conversations with people, 
of course, in, in every issue, there's always going to be a percentage that are completely against whatever that may be. And, and I don't want to dismiss that viewpoint, but it's, it's to acknowledge that you're never going to have 100% agreement on anything. But what often I heard was not that there were people who were saying, I hate all bike lanes all the time, and you should never build a bike lane in the city <laughs> of Edmonton. It was, don't put a bike lane on a major commuter roadway when you've got maybe a parallel road one block over that can get people the same way that's not impacting commuter traffic. To me, that's the difference. So I think there are people, and I think if you took that percentage and you asked most of them, I think you'd even get more than the 60% or so that you just talked about mm-hmm. saying, don't put a bike lane on a major commuter road. Don't throw it on Jasper Avenue. That's not a good idea. That wouldn't make a lot of sense. Um, but if you said, are you okay with a bike lane that doesn't, that's on an adjacent parallel road uh, that allows people who are going to choose to bike a safe way to go that isn't going to impact your commute? I don't know. I mean, most of the people I talked to said, okay, that doesn't really seem unreasonable. And that's why I think when you look at like 102nd Ave again here, there are very few people who say that's, that's an unreasonable piece of infrastructure because it doesn't impact anyone. Councillor, we have about 40 seconds left, and I want to leave you with this. You mentioned that it frustrates you when cyclists blow through a red light. Mm -hmm. We always see studies on vehicles making incorrect decisions. Do you feel that there should be a study done to monitor the awareness that cyclists are taking out on the road? Oh, I think that'd be great. I think the more we can do, the better. It's, uh, it's, you got to have education on all fronts. I, I stop at every stop sign, and yeah, it can you sometimes be like, well, nobody's around, should I? But no, I, I don't do it when I drive, so I shouldn't mm-hmm. be doing it when I bike. And to have that information and those studies to, to help inform behavior changes and, and enforcement, I think would be great. Yeah, and you know, that's what uh, I got thinking after I asked you my question about if do we have a bike lane problem or a uh, education problem. I really think the city would do well, and I'm... I'm spending our money again, Andrew, but I think the city would do well to perhaps refresh people's memories about the rules of the road in general, whether you're on a bike or in a car. And I know we can't leave it to the police to enforce because they can't be everywhere at all times. But if you're a lousy car driver, you're probably going to be a lousy bike driver, (laughs) right? And and vice versa. Yeah. I I wish we weren't out of time, Andrew, but we are. And I really appreciate you taking the half hour with us as you did. And we'll have to do it again when Jay Lynn's here. Sounds great. All right. Thanks, Andrew. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jay Lynn Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.